Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. I agree. The one with the flowers is the best. What kind of flowers? All kinds. Seriously. That is... All kinds. And parts of flowers. So nonspecific that I feel like you're mocking me. I'm not trying to mock you. Although that is a side benefit. (laughs) It just comes naturally, the mocking. (laughs) I know, you can't help it. It's okay. (laughs) Today we'll be discussing Neon Gods by Katie Roberts. Persephone is on the run from a forced marriage when she crosses the River Styx and basically falls into the arms of Hades, king of the underworld. At first, she's confused, because Hades isn't supposed to exist, and yet, here he be, and he be hot. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I write that? (laughs) Wanting shelter from the coming storm of her alleged fiancé's wrath, Persephone makes a mutually beneficial deal with Hades. Their fake relationship has a time limit. But as the end date approaches, will they admit to themselves that there is real love between them? Will they? (laughs) There will be spoilers beyond this point. And sea monsters. (laughs) We have a content warning for exhibition kink, aggressive but consensual oral sex, and an abusive parent. Not yay? So many of these books have an abusive parent. It's really, like, sad. I agree. (laughs) Definitely not yay. Well, assuming that you feel ready to be romanced, how is the Greek pantheon constructed in this book? When I picked out this book, (laughs) because you know I love a good retelling. Yes. I was ensnared by the idea of a Hades Persephone retelling with kind of a modern twist to it. And I was excited to learn about the world. Unfortunately, I don't feel like there was a lot of world building in this book. The main characters live in Olympus, which is a city that is divided into two parts by the River Styx. So we have the upper part of the city, which is where most of the Olympians live. And then we have the lower part of the city which is where Hades lives Mm -hmm. the city is governed by the 13 which are basically named roles that are passed down and or elected or earned in some other way depending on the role which I liked yeah which are named after Greek gods so for example Zeus is a legacy role and it is passed down from father to son. Hades is also a legacy role. Demeter is an elected role, I believe. And I'm not entirely sure how all the other roles are determined. Well, no. So Hera, you get that role by becoming Zeus's wife. (laughs) (laughs) So I I do know that one. (laughs) I don't know how how really any of the other roles are determined, but we have Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, Hades, Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Demeter, Hermes, Apollo, Ares, Dionysus. Did I forget any? So Hades, even though that role is technically part of the 13, 
as far as everyone knows at the beginning of the book, there isn't a Hades anymore. And that role is sort of retired, but not really. I don't remember getting a very good reason as to why the title was retired. Just that it was a legacy role and supposedly the last Hades died without an heir. And so it was sort of retired because of that, but they never really took down the statue. They just covered it up. I feel like I'm not asking my question right. <laughs> or maybe maybe, maybe, you're maybe not. the problem is that I'm, I wish I could ask the author as to why. Why is it so important that people forget that he existed or think that the role oh. isn't there? I think it has to do with Zeus's megalomania. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Zeus is not a great guy. He is the... <laughs> Shocker. King, not not in reality, but basically in reality, of everybody and wants to be in charge of everything. And technically, he and Poseidon should have separate areas of the upper part of the city, but Poseidon sticks to the dock areas or whatever and let Zeus do whatever he wants everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And then they basically forget about the lower city, which kind of has like a classist sort of bent to it, I felt. Like the yeah, people me too. in the lower city live on the wrong side of the tracks type of thing. The wrong side of the river sticks. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about the world building that really got to me is that I don't feel like the author leaned in enough to any of the little pieces she put in the story. Yeah. Is this a modern type of mafia sort of situation? Not exactly, because if you cross the River Styx without an invitation, you actually feel pain, like some sort of psychic physical pain. Also, is Olympus part of the U.S.? There are references where Persephone wants to move to Berkeley and go to college. <laughs> but yeah. it seems like Olympus is a really secluded area. So is it more like Oz, where it's, you know, kind of like a pocket dimension surrounded by like some impassable force? And, and the author doesn't tell us. And it's very <laughs> frustrating. Yeah, I was kind of confused about that. Do these characters have any power? Well, it seems like some of them do because, for example, Hermes, her role is being the messenger and she can mimic everyone's voices like perfectly. Yeah. So where it sounds like it's actually the other people, which seems like a magical power to be able to do it so perfectly. But not everyone seems to have powers. It's just, it, I don't know. It's frustrating. And then like, some of the other characters, like, for example, they're very, they're not prominent in the story at all. But for example, uh, Ares has like a militia or something like a private militia. Mm -hmm. Aphrodite is responsible for arranging marriages between other Olympians. Uh, Dionysus seems to be doing some sort of booze running of some kind. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I think it's I think it's alcohol and illicit drugs. Demeter's in charge of trade to make sure that the city has enough food. 
I just, I mean, and and yeah, it's a nod to the different Greek gods' powers, which I liked. But then we have like the weird, is it magic? Is it not? Is it in the real world? Is it not? I feel like the author didn't commit to anything. Yeah. And it made the story really frustrating to read for that reason. So while I think it's good, we get the world building out of the way. So we kind of have like this idea of the world our characters live in. It just, it made the story unsatisfying for me because I wanted more commitment, I guess. Like, which world are are we in? And if we're in all of them, can we <laughs> be told that? <laughs> I don't know. I agree with you. I felt that. I liked a lot of the pieces that we were getting for the world building, but it felt incomplete. Either because of yes. wanting to flush those things out later for the series, because this is what, a four, five, six book series so far? Yeah. But the problem is, yeah, it, it feels like aspects of the world feel intangible because they're not, they don't feel constructed. It made it hard for me to invest in the world which then made it hard for me to invest in the characters. Yeah, I can see that. I really wanted to read a Hades Persephone story and I wanted to be invested. So it is unfortunate. So I think I've kind of set up the world. So we've got this glittering upper side of the city and then this dark, gloomy lower side of the city. Everybody has names based on Greek mythology our heroine is Persephone. She is the daughter of Demeter. She has multiple half-sisters that are also named after characters from Greek mythology. We have Psyche, Calliope, Calypso, Eurydice. Which, just FYI, if you are wanting to continue the series, the next book is about Psyche, and then multiple books later, you finally get to another sister. I thought it was going to kind of follow the sisters, but it does not. The beginning of the story, we have Persephone. She is a socialite. All of her sisters have taken on their own version of a public persona. And Persephone's is this bright, sunny, easygoing, sort of vapid-ish woman. She's 24? And she's counting down the months until she turns 25 when she will gain unfettered access to her trust fund and will be able to leave Olympus and go to Berkeley. Yay, good goal. See, that, see that's, I mean, that's the thing with the world building. I'm like, I'm, okay, I, I guess. <laughs> Maybe they're protected by magic and it's like a pocket world. I don't know. Maybe it's in Greece. I don't know. That would be fine if it was something we knew. Yeah, I don't know. I would have liked to know if it was a pocket world or not. A pocket world in Greece. I guess that's kind of how I thought of it, even if I wasn't told that that's what it was. My brain will just <laughs> fill in things. It's like, all right, well, I'll make this work. I, I kind of wonder, like, did the author have an idea of what the whole deal is with the world and just didn't realize she didn't communicate it enough. Maybe it's being saved for a reveal later or something. Or they they felt that it was 
unnecessary and readers wouldn't question or or want that. I don't know. I'm going to try to stop talking about the world. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Persephone is at this party and she's hating her life. She hates the, the glittery excessiveness of the lifestyle in which she is forced to live ever since her mother became Demeter. Her mother wasn't always Demeter. She is at the beginning of this story, but before she had to prove herself in some way in order to become Demeter. And as a result, she's kind of a political figure first and then a mother second, like a really far second. Yes, that's how Persephone sees it. The other daughters too, I think. Persephone has a feeling that her mother cares about her and loves her and wouldn't let anything hurt her, but also is aware that her mother will use her for her own personal gains. So the definition of hurt is kind of nebulous there, which is why we content warned for abusive parent. Uh (laughs) And I think it's also important to say that Demeter clearly is the type of character to make plans and has machinations and all of that, and very much keeps those thoughts close to herself. Close to the vest. Yes. So because of that, you know, other people are making decisions because they don't have all the information. <laughs> and they are also supposing things that may or may not be true or may or may not be true in the way that the character thinks because Demeter is so closed off. This aspect of Demeter's character comes into light really quickly because at this party, Demeter makes Persephone go talk to Zeus. Zeus is like a 60-year-old lecher who (laughs) is rumored to have killed three of his prior wives. And he grabs Persephone by the hand and and says something like, oh, let's make that announcement we were going to make. And then announces to everybody in attendance that he and Persephone are engaged. (laughs) Surprise! And Persephone is like, what the fuck? (laughs) but she can't deny him she can't tell him no or refuse or anything like that because she's concerned for her personal safety and the safety of her sisters because she thinks while her mother wouldn't intentionally hurt her zeus could for sure so she has a little freak out moment she pretends everything's fine manages to go use the ladies' room real fast with her sister Psyche, and instead they sneak outside, and Psyche tries to talk her down. And they try to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do? Because obviously you can't marry Zeus. That would be bad. (laughs) We don't want you to end up like any of the other Hera's. (laughs) And Persephone is like, okay, I'll I'll figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. She's the sister who always has a plan, and so Psyche believes her, So when Persephone says, oh, can you go grab my purse? Psyche goes, oh, yeah, I'll go get that for you. And then the second Psyche leaves, Persephone just hauls ass. Like she's gone. (laughs) Plausible deniability. Yeah, she's wearing this thin party dress. She's got heels on. She's walking outside in the dark, in the cold. 
farther and farther away from the populated, rich part of town. And there's definitely a perception here that the less rich an area is, the more dangerous it is. And she's heading toward the River Styx. Not really on purpose, I think. She's just trying to figure something out. Like, I'm going to go hide somewhere. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, it's definitely more the running away than running towards. Yes. <laughs> Soon, though, she realizes she's being followed by nefarious-looking people. She kicks off her shoes and starts running. And at this point, she realizes they are herding her to the River Styx in order to trap her because they don't think she'll cross. <laughs> ha ha ha. You underestimate the desperate. <laughs> there is the assumption that these are Zeus's guys that are going to bring her back to Zeus, which is true. Persephone's hauling ass. She's heading toward one of the bridges that crosses the river. She's running through broken glass. She's not really paying any attention to how she's harming her body because she's just trying to escape. She's got that adrenaline thing going. And she gets to the bridge and starts to cross it. And she does feel like this pain. So there is like some sort of barrier of some kind <laughs> that we don't know what it is, but it's there. On the other side of the bridge, she sees a tall, dark man kind of in shadows, kind of foggy over there. She starts running to that guy. Can you help me? Help me, please. Thinking... He's obviously not aligned with Zeus because he's on the other side of the river. Fair assessment. Literally anyone is better than Zeus. Probably true, at least in this instance. Statistically, probably better. So she manages to cross the bridge and the guys that were chasing her stay on their side of the bridge. They won't cross. And she runs to the man on the other side. He realizes she's injured. And I think he pretty much picks her up at that point, and starts carrying her around. He <laughs> carries her around so fucking much. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> this man is Hades. Because <laughs> of course it is. Just in case that wasn't clear. Hades wasn't able to cross the bridge to help her at all because it would break the treaty. So apparently he has this treaty with Zeus and the other 13 that he's going to stay on his side of the tracks and keep his existence on the down low, sort of. Yeah, the poorly kept secret that is his existence. Yeah. And then Zeus will stay on his side and they won't have war between them. And it, this is where the story has kind of a mafia-esque sort of feel to it, I, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. So they have their own territories. Hades, Hades, Hades. Okay, so Hades... Is the man, the myth, the legend. The not god, in this instance. <laughs> Supposedly, the existence of Hades is a myth. Was there ever a Hades? We don't know. Uh, Persephone has always been kind of intrigued by the idea of Hades, but never thought there was actually a, a Hades. Which, I mean, she's late to coming to Olympus, but it didn't seem like his quote-unquote rise to the Hades role was that long ago. Or was it his father was also keeping the Hades thing under wraps as well? It's kind of nebulous. Okay. 
So Hades is 35 and he took over the role officially when he was 17. Right. But before he took over the role, when he was even younger, when he was a child, his parents were murdered in a fire and Hades suffered burns all over his body. But not his beautiful sculpted face, of course. Of course. His father was the Hades before he was, and his father seemed to be more of an open, trusting sort of person. (laughs) So not me. (laughs) Believed Zeus wouldn't resort to setting his family on fire in order to gain power. (laughs) Oh, so he was like that Stark dude. Basically, exactly. He was like Eddard Stark. Yeah, that one. The one who's like, no, everything's fine. Oh, shit, there goes my head. Yeah, sure, let's go to the enemy side of the river. It's it's totally fine. (gasps) Trust a character when they say, don't (laughs) trust me. (laughs) (laughs) So Hades, as a result, is a very closed off person. He does not trust easily. He is hyper aware of safety. Not only the safety of himself but also his people so everyone on his side of the river that he's in charge of their livelihoods and lives he is super invested in them he also has this whole idea that he's gonna be this scary figure and the way that he is a scary figure is by by holding invitation only sex parties where BDSM is an element. Yes, it's very scary. <laughs> so frightening and dark. Ooh. I'm clutching my blankie. I just, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Was that too silly? <laughs> no, it's just like he is, he is staying on the DL, but <laughs> he's also having exhibitionist BDSM sex orgies. That's what I meant, like a poorly kept secret, because there's people from the quote-unquote upper city that go down there. Clearly they know. It's just... Yeah. And this is another part of the story where I would like more, honestly, um, in two different directions. So um, in one hand, I'd like more meat to the story, okay? Why is this bad? Mm-hmm. Or dark or fearsome. And secondly, if you're going to tell us about public sex orgies, can we have some <laughs> in the book? Mm-hmm. Is that too much to ask for? I don't know. Well, there was that one. There was that one that gets her hot and bothered at early on, but it's not really an orgy. It's just two characters. And they're doing that rope thing. Yeah. And I just don't understand. Like, it doesn't feel fearsome to me. There's this element that I've noticed in romance books where if BDSM is involved in any capacity at all, it's considered to be dark. Yeah. And I just don't feel like this story is dark whatsoever. And I feel like the BDSM element was inserted to make it seem darker. Yeah, I agree. If that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. There's so many books that, and and I don't think the author does BDSM badly, 
necessarily in this book, the elements that are there. But I feel like there is so much made of it when there's really not a lot there. I agree. It's not as much of an element to the story as we are led to believe initially. Yeah, no. And I that's fine. I didn't start reading this story to read about BDSM, so it's fine. But on the other hand, don't tell me there's going to be BDSM and then don't put any in. <laughs> so stories, along with telling us what the story is, they make contracts with the reader. You know, it's I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And they're promises. Yeah. And you're right. If we're get told there's going to be unicorns in this story, we want the unicorns. <laughs> we were told there would be unicorns. Yeah. Especially if it's something that's promised on the quote-unquote book flap, which I don't know if this one necessarily was. No, I don't think it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to associate Hades with BDSM, because... And it's not too much of a stretch to associate Hades with Dark. True. And I wasn't necessarily expecting a Dark romance, especially necessarily and i don't think this one is but i do feel like it wants to be it would have made more sense to me which is again not how this is handled in the book if hades was considered like a villain figure yeah and he's absolutely not so yeah that was the other thing i was hoping for an anti-hero and we did not get one Correct. at all yeah i was kind of expecting more of the anti-hero and not necessarily always a fan of the anti-hero but that's what i was expecting and i didn't get that either and it was sort of like oh, okay but yeah like i was saying like if he was a a villain or at least believed to be a villain not necessarily not supposed to exist but not supposed to exist in the way that he does and maybe she has a moment on the bridge where she's going well the devil i know versus the devil i don't I'll take the unknown. So I I went into the story expecting an antihero or some moral grayness or something surrounding Hades. And it we absolutely do not get that. And I don't necessarily mind it. It actually was kind of interesting to read about a Hades where, oh, that's his reputation, but he's actually the complete opposite. But he doesn't he doesn't have a reputation at all because he's not supposed to exist. Are you talking about the his reputation in as far as like how we think of him now. Oh, I'm talking about his reputation in the story. That's what I assumed. Okay. Which is that he's supposed to be fearsome and scary, like the myth of him. And yet he's not supposed to exist. He can't be scary and not exist. Yeah. So so there's that. But then there's also just the only fearsome thing he does is have public sex. I just, I don't know. <laughs> so scary. And I mean, I don't want to, like... <laughs> <laughs> that would be fearsome to me personally like i don't want to engage but i don't think it's scary necessarily it's not what you hide under your bed from i understand it's not a terrifying thing unless they were coming into your home to drag you out to make you have public sex then no if if i had to do it yeah i'd be scared <laughs> but knowing that this other person does it i don't care at all like good for them i hope they enjoy themselves yeah totally as long as all the witnesses are consenting i don't care yes as long as everybody involved is is signing on for it <laughs> 
But I, I feel like we're supposed to think that made him scary or that made him to be feared. That made him dark. And I just, I'm tired of... I mean, it is called Neon Gods. He's not dark, he's neon. It's not just this author. It's just authors in general taking BDSM or other kink and saying, oh, it's dark. Yeah. And that's what's bothering me, I guess, about that aspect of it. No, that makes sense. Like I said, it's not just this author. I've read this in many, many books (laughs) where, oh, he's dark, he's evil, he wants to spank you lightly on the butt. I just like, (laughs) really? (laughs) Yes. I mean, sure. Okay. (laughs) I'm so scared. And and not only that, I mean, there there are parts of BDSM that could be considered kind of more dark, you know, the riskier elements, breath play, blood play, knife play, you know, those things I would consider more dark. But they're not necessarily dark. No, because they they require a higher level of trust because there's a higher level of danger associated with it. Right. They're more dangerous than dark, I guess. Yeah. Potentially dangerous. And I think it also depends on the atmosphere. Like it can be made to feel dangerous and it also depends, you know, dark romance, that kind of thing. The level of consent, all of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, if everybody's consenting everybody feels safe then yeah it doesn't have to feel dark or illicit or whatever i don't know i guess it's just a an issue or a pet a pet peeve i have about how bdsm is written about in general that makes sense you were entitled to your pet peeves anyways back to the story Back to the story. Uh, Persephone has run across the bridge. She's been picked up by Hades. And he takes her back to his house, carrying her the whole way. She doesn't like being carried initially, but she's not able to complain too much at this point because she's hurting and scared and kind of in a panic sort of state. Hades is thrilled because he doesn't necessarily know who she is at this point or anything about her, but he's thinking to himself, this is someone that I could potentially use to get back at Zeus. (laughs) Hello, Pawn. Yeah, obviously Zeus wants this woman for some reason. They get to the house. He sets her down on the kitchen counter and starts picking the glass out of her feet. In the kitchen, there's also Hermes and Dionysus who are kind of... Hades friends-ish, even though they're part of the 13 and technically loyal to Zeus. And they call him Hades, which makes Persephone realize, oh, you're Hades? Oh, you exist? Oh my gosh. Mindfuck moment. He sends Hermes and Dionysus away because he must keep Persephone all to himself. Of course. He's gonna carry her upstairs and put her to bed in a guest room. Okay. It's not like that yet. (laughs) She starts trying to escape from him because, oh no, you're the big bad Hades. And ah, (laughs) never mind the fact that you carried me all the way to your house and then picked glass out of my feet, which was nice of you. But no, you're scary. You're fearsome. He is like, no, you have to hold still so I can take care of you. He is 
I don't know if you would say overly concerned, but he is definitely very fixated on the injuries Persephone has sustained on her feet. Yes. I'm not going to say they aren't bad because they are, but he is so concerned. It's a little much for a stranger. It's a lot. Okay. He thinks about her feet a lot. Maybe he's got a kink for them or will later. He he doesn't in this book, but you never know. (laughs) He does have other kinks. So Persephone says something like, well, let me go to the hospital then. And Hades is like, no, it's not safe there. Which that kind of makes sense because if he wants to use her as a pawn, he would want to keep her close. So she tells him, oh, Zeus is my fiance against my will and I'm trying to escape him. So he knows the story. And so what he tells her is if you go to the hospital, they're going to call your mom And then Zeus will know where you are. Which, I mean, she's in her 20s. (laughs) But okay. Yeah, but this is Olympus, okay? This isn't the rest of the world where privacy laws are a thing. This is Olympus where everyone is going to tell everyone everything. Mm. Why wouldn't the hospital staff tell Zeus and Demeter where to find the wayward Persephone? Yeah, I guess they have more control different social structure yeah that's the element of the world building that (laughs) again (laughs) that that would have been nice to have a reason to be worried about that persephone starts to think a little bit more clearly she's like okay no you're right that would be bad i don't want to get dragged back to zeus right away i think staying here is maybe a good idea they kind of argue back and forth because she's still not okay with him deciding everything for her she wants to make her own plan and then eventually he says you know what just stay here till the morning tomorrow and then we'll talk about it and figure it out and leaves persephone immediately goes to the phone and she figures it's probably tapped or something like that but she calls her sisters to let them know she's okay That was something I did really like about the story was the relationship between Persephone and her sisters. Yeah, me too. One of the things about the sisters that I really liked that I thought the author did really well is that one of the sisters is Eurydice and she has this crappy boyfriend Orpheus and the author kind of goes through the Orpheus and Eurydice myth in a way throughout Mm -hmm. the story. In the background, mind you, but I really enjoyed that through element of the story. I wanted more of that. (laughs) And I think that's why I like the sisters so much, because we had that. I know, I really like that too. (laughs) Yeah. So Persephone calls her sisters and reassures them everything is fine. They, of course, don't believe her that everything is fine. You're staying at Hades' house, but Hades is myth and evil. (laughs) Because apparently he's both of those things at the same time. Persephone's like, no, no, it's fine. And I'll call you tomorrow. We'll figure it out tomorrow. Don't worry about it. I just didn't want you guys to freak out all night. I'm trying to be considerate. Bye. But then she realizes her bedroom doesn't have a lock on the door. And so she goes and sleeps in the adjoining bathroom in the bathtub because she wants to lock herself in because she doesn't trust Hades. We get to spend some time in Hades' head where he has a conversation with Hermes, learns a little bit more about 
Persephone's background, learns that she's not shining him on, that she's actually been forced into this engagement that she doesn't want to be part of. He really wants to use Persephone to get revenge on Zeus because Zeus is the one who killed his parents. But he also doesn't want to make a deal with somebody who he can't trust. And he doesn't know if Persephone is a trustworthy person or if she's kind of um, power hungry and super ambitious like her mother or something like that. So the next morning, he knocks on her door, but she doesn't answer. And so he goes into her room and knocks over the end table that she put in front of the door to alert her of intruders. And then anal retentively puts it back exactly (laughs) where it goes next to the bed. And then figures out she's in the bathroom and knocks on the bathroom door. She immediately lays down a boundary, which I really liked this about her, Mm -hmm. where she says... Do you often break into people's rooms without permission? <laughs> and he's like, this is my house. And she's like, no, this is my room that you gave me to sleep in. Why are you in here without my permission? <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciated that about her. She's like that throughout the story where she doesn't hesitate to speak her mind. She doesn't hesitate to set a boundary. And we get a lot of, um, I think fun banter between her and Hades because Hades is kind of more closed off, maybe a little bit more grim seeming initially. Persephone is very much the character who wants to poke, 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 make him stick his head out of his shell, make him laugh, make him smile, make him annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) She comes out of the bathroom and they have a conversation. Hades is getting ready to broach the idea that maybe they can have an alliance of some kind and Persephone beats him to it and says, Hey, we can help each other out. Hades tells her about the treaty that he has with the rest of the 13. And that if he crosses the bridge, then he brings war to his side of the city. But Zeus also has to obey those rules and can't cross to his side either. And Persephone is basically safe on his side because of that, because she crossed of her own free will. And so the treaty essentially is protecting her by her just having crossed the bridge. Yay, protection. Persephone learns some about Hades' backstory, how his parents were killed by Zeus, how he has a motive for revenge. She feels she can actually make a deal with him. Like, okay, well, he's got a stake in the game as well, not just me. And she's like, well, why don't you use me to get revenge on Zeus, you know, to provoke him into attacking you or breaking the treaty or something like that? And Hades says, well, I don't want to keep you forever or whatever. And Persephone says, no, I have places to be. I'm leaving in three months. Olympus entirely. I'm gone. So in the meantime... Let's make Zeus think that I pick you over him. That's going to make him super jealous, kind of poke the bear, so to speak, make him maybe act in a way that would break the treaty or would enable you to have some sort of revenge. Meanwhile, I'm safe because I'm here with you. Hades says, no, this is stupid because Zeus is going to be able to tell if we're in a fake relationship. Persephone says, okay, well, let's do it for real then. What? 
Initially, Hades is really closed off to the idea of having any sort of relationship with Persephone, especially a sexual relationship, because he doesn't want to take advantage of her. He's very, very aware of the power imbalance between them. She's in his care. She's under his protection at this point. Mm -hmm. So if he has sex with her, is that truly consensual? So when he tells her no, Persephone says, don't you want me at all? Like, not even a little? Is this just completely a no-go for you? He says, yeah, no, this isn't going to work for me. And so this is another thing I really liked about Persephone. She apologizes (laughs) and says, okay, well, I guess this plan isn't going to work. I'll try to figure it out for myself. Thanks anyway. (laughs) And she just immediately starts going on to the next idea. Well, maybe I'll call my sisters. Maybe... My oldest sister, who already has access to her trust fund, can lend me some money so I can escape early. And she's getting ready to go, 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 figure out her life. And I just fucking love that about her. She's just like, oh. Yeah. All right. Well, you were hot and all. And I I would have loved to fuck you. But eh, okay, you're not (laughs) into it. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hades changes his mind pretty much immediately. And he says to her... If I agree to this, you're going to belong to me for three months. And she says, that sounds like I'm agreeing to more than sex. And he says, well, yeah, because I'll be protecting you. But you're going to belong to me. You're going to obey me. And we're going to act out every depraved thing I want to do to you in public. And the reason he wants to do that is because Zeus knows that he engages in public sex on occasion. Persephone is into this. She thinks it's hot. And so she says, sounds good. Let's seal this deal with a kiss and they kiss and it's hot. And then he pulls away. So he's got all his self-doubt and his internal back talk going on in his brain. He pulls away from her and he's like, no, you only want me because you have nowhere else to go. So I'm not going to continue this. He's like, we'll talk more tonight. See you later. Yeah. End scene. So (laughs) this is where I feel like the author teased us. We're going to get depraved acts we're gonna get belonging and obeying and public sex and we get a fraction of that i think i don't feel like there was any depravity honestly yeah not really so hades has left and he immediately gets a phone call from zeus who says give her back to me no one else has to know You're going to break the peace if you keep her. Hades says, I didn't break the treaty. She came over here of her own free will. Zeus says, you stole my wife. Hades says, no, I didn't. Sucks to be you. But you're more than welcome to her when I'm through with her, implying that he's going to damage her in some way by engaging in these quote unquote depraved public sex acts with her. And Zeus cares so much about reputation that he couldn't possibly take damaged goods, which is just the most disgusting. Uh, sex does not make you damaged goods. Thank you very much. <sighs> but that's what Persephone and Hades are playing into. So that night, Hades meets up with Persephone again, and he makes it sound like, all right, we're going to go do that public sex right now. <laughs> He picks her up and carries her around and she doesn't like it, although she secretly likes it. And he refuses to not carry her. So that is another major theme in the story that he just will pick her up and carry her around like she's a little doll. And 
ostensibly it's because of her injured feet at this point. (laughs) But really, it's because he just wants to carry her around. We all know that. Yes. I do like this quote during this scene where he's carrying her to his sex dungeon. (laughs) She like kind of struggles a little bit. And he's like, no, you're gonna have to deal with me carrying you around. (laughs) We're in her point of view and it says, quote, My peevish desire to irk him rises again and I don't bother to resist it. Instead, I lay my head on his shoulder and tug his beard. Maybe I just want to be carried around by a big strong man who's determined to save me. (laughs) (laughs) So the author is leaning hard into this trope for sure. Yes. (laughs) So much so that her main female character is self-aware. They get to Hades' sex dungeon to the doorway and Hades says, this is your last chance. Once we walk through, you're committed. And she's like, yep, I agree. I I agreed earlier and I still agree. Bring on the depraved sex acts. Hades has her pick out a safe word. The safe word is pomegranate. He tells her how important consent is to him. And he even says, consent because you have no other options isn't really consent. And then Persephone says, quote, Hades, do you plan on putting me down before walking through that door? And he says, no. And then she says, so this consent only applies to sex? I thought that was amazing. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much, Persephone, for pointing that out. (laughs) He is very hypocritical. He realizes in the moment, oops, yeah, you're right. I am being a hypocrite. And he acts like, okay, no, you're right. This is a mistake. We don't need to do this. We're just going to go back. We'll not do this. And and then she's all, no, I'm just teasing you. It's fine. <laughs> so they go through the door. It's not public. It's just his sex dungeon. Although that is where the public sex happens. So he's kind of given her... I guess like an intro to what it would be like because he doesn't want to just throw her into the deep end and hope she enjoys it. (laughs) This is part of the story where I feel like the author did BDSM right, where, you know, yes, let's talk about consent. Let's talk about what you like, what you don't like. And they actually have a conversation where they do talk about that sort of thing. Like what things are a no-go for her? What things is she into? Then he says, do you want a demonstration of how our first night here will go. And she says, yes. And so then he makes her orgasm. She loves it. She owns her sexuality. I really like that about her. And then he takes her back to her room and checks on her feet because of course he does. And he says to her at this point, if you can't be trusted to take care of your body, then I'm going to do it for you, which really icked me out. Yes, me too. But isn't just this book, isn't just this hero, it's a thing. Yes. The fact that he's so point blank about it, though, and yeah, like, (laughs) she says to him, well, I let you check my feet and you said if I was good, I was going to get a second orgasm. And he's like, yeah, you're trying to top from the bottom. That's another thing about this. He's like thinking, oh, yeah, I'm the super dominant guy. And I want a submissive person and some version, some flavor of submissiveness. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want her to top from the bottom at all. And he has like this thought multiple times, like he's going to have to make sure she doesn't top from the bottom. But at no point do we play into any of that sort of 
aspect of BDSM really at all. Yeah. Even though he does have a conversation with her about what sort of scenario would be better for you. Do you want to kind of be a brat? Do you want to be quote unquote forced? Do you want to be tamed? Do you want to be more of a gentle submissive? Like what, what do you want? They do talk about that, but then it does not come to fruition really. Yeah. And I guess the reason I'm talking about the BDSM and the sex in this book so much is because there's a lot of sex in this book, like a lot of sex in this book. Yeah, there is. There's a little bit of story and then there's a lot of sex and then there's a little bit of story and then there's a lot of sex and it kind of does that sort of thing. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it is listed as erotica on Goodreads. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, if you're going to have sex in your book, have sex in your book. Yeah. Yes, I'm here for it. But if you're going to tell me about what kind of sex is going to be in the book and then you don't have that kind of (laughs) sex in the book, I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, it's the promises. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. I feel like he's talking a big game and not living up to it. And I feel left. I'm left hanging, Hades. (laughs) (laughs) Where is this dominant side? Do tell. (laughs) After they have the conversation about what kind of sex game they they are going to play in the future he says she can make herself come he wants to watch her and then she's like okay well if i'm doing it you also have to do it so we have a fun mutual masturbation kind of a grinding humping sort of situation but no actual penetrative sex at this point they cuddle even though hades insists he doesn't cuddle he's the one who wants to cuddle There is a fun part where Persephone takes off her mask a little bit because, like I said earlier, she has this public persona that she uses to protect herself. Hades is kind of trying to reconcile the Persephone he's getting to know versus what he knows about public persona Persephone. And she says, I don't know why you're so surprised you already admitted you use your reputation as a weapon. Is it so strange to think I might do the same? She's like... I see you, and I'm just like you. (laughs) And we're both not dark at all. Nope. But we wear black, and we're slightly kinky. Mm Mm-hmm. So dark. And there's nothing wrong with being just slightly kinky, or not kinky at all. Okay, I'm not trying to vanilla shame or whatever. It's just, I expected kinky. Hades gets a message from Hermes, from Demeter, who says... I don't know what kind of grudge you have against Zeus, and I don't really care, but if you don't free my daughter, I'm going to cut off all the resources to the lower city and starve you guys out. Yay, mom. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Starve them out while she's living there so she can starve too. (laughs) That's good. It's a good idea. Yeah, I was a little conflicted. I'm like, I understand wanting to take aggressive measures if you think somebody is holding your child captive, but... Yeah. (laughs) There's some faults with this. This plays into the Persephone-Hades myth, Mm -hmm. where when Persephone is kidnapped by Hades, actually kidnapped, Demeter is so sad that she causes endless winter, which makes everyone starve. Yep. So... I appreciate that we get some of the myth brought into the story here. Yes, and I appreciate that the way that she set up the world building with the titles so that people weren't actually related. Because <laughs> Hades is Persephone's yeah. uncle in the original myth, which was always a bit ick. More than a bit. 
Just just a little. Yeah, and Zeus is like, I'll help you out, bro. <laughs> Which again, ew. Yep. <laughs> and even though, you know, Artemis is helping, and I think even Hecate like helps her look, like it's just like, oh, it just breaks your heart. Why why was this the story that they came up with for the seasons? <laughs> Which I think is interesting, because it tells about the culture, but on, on another hand, I'm going, Ew? <laughs> <laughs> is that just my modern sensibilities showing, or I don't know? <laughs> well, okay, so in a way, yes, because I think people were a lot less icked out by familial intermarrying. Yeah. Especially in powerful families. But... <laughs> It just proves that the creepy uncle thing didn't start in modern times. We've had the creepy uncle thing for a long time. And depending on the culture, like, sometimes that's the thing is, like, you move in with the uncle's family and, yeah. Yeah, I know historically there were some, like, uncles can marry nieces. Like, that was totally cool. So it just, it just depends. Another thing I really liked about how the author brought in the myth is that Persephone's safe word is pomegranate. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the whole reason Persephone is stuck in Hades with Hades. It's both. Is because she eats part of a pomegranate. Yeah, isn't it like six seeds or something? Yeah, six seeds of the pomegranate, which is why she has to be there six months or whatever, Mm -hmm. according to the myth. So her safe word is pomegranate. So her engaging in these quote unquote depraved sex acts with Hades is what is cementing her position in the Undercity. Yes. Persephone is feeling kind of angsty because she's stuck in Hades' house. She feels like she's gone from one cage to another cage, which she kind of has. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But Hades takes her out for a walk they go out through the town he takes her to get some clothes she doesn't have anything she literally has nothing except the dress and the shoes she was wearing well actually no she didn't even have the shoes because she kicked them off before she crossed the bridge and that's not terribly uncommon either no it's not she has nothing and he provides yes at some point they're walking and she gets kind of lightheaded and she's not feeling great and then He realizes, oh, no, you're sick or there's something wrong with you. She says, no, it's just probably low blood sugar. I haven't eaten in like three days, so it's fine. (laughs) Which, okay, yes, that's bad. But then his immediate response is, okay, well, now I must make you eat as well. But controlling is caring. There's a very fine line here okay (laughs) between encouraging and forcing and i feel like we're a lot more on the forcing side of it than the encouraging side of it hades is thinking to himself yep she's just proving once again she's not valuing herself at all she's not putting her health as a priority and how can i trust her with my kinky sex games if i can't trust her to actually think about how her body is feeling i think that's a valid concern yes But I don't think that the way he's handling it is great. Whereas, okay, so she's not paying attention to her body. Therefore, I'm going to learn everything about her and watch her like a hawk and make sure that she is okay all the time. Yikes. Yeah, that would be a little intense. I'm, yeah, to each his own. Yeah, it's, it's a bit much. 
Yeah, I don't think they ever go over like that he could have a safe word. No, they don't. Be like, this is too much for me. <laughs> like, you apparently need a lot of looking after. <laughs> and I'm a little concerned that you're not going to do it, but I don't know if I can take it on. <laughs> I thought about that too. Like, he could totally safe word out of that whole situation. I kind of expected it with how, like, they were discussing stuff before. I'm like, and then he mentions he needs one. No, oh, no, okay. We're just going to let that go. All right. Because he can do it all. Okay. It's the mystique that the (laughs) dominant partner never needs a safe word because they're quote unquote in control. Mm. (laughs) Even though they aren't. Okay. Because they're human too. (laughs) But are they really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hades might not be. It's unclear. (laughs) I think he is. But I'm not sure. (laughs) It's never really specified. No, not entirely. I feel like if the author doesn't specify, does that mean the reader could make it up? Yes. I tell you, yes, make it up. So you give me lizard Hades? (laughs) Hey, if I can make it up. (laughs) I mean, he could be. Maybe. Who knows? All right, we finally get to the long-awaited public sex scene. Yes, we're going to have an audience. Eyeballs. And as they go through the door, there are people there. Oh, no. And Persephone, who thought it might be hot, actually is now thinking maybe it's not hot. It's maybe scary. Uh, Maybe this is one of those fantasies that is better in the realm of fantasy. Who knows? (laughs) Hades magically knows that she's feeling insecure about the situation. And so he lets her know she's actually off the hook. They're going to sit in the shadows on his throne. And some other couple is going to partake in the Shibari stage area. Yes. Under the spotlight. Oh, those hot lights. (laughs) She feels so relieved and so thankful that he recognized that about her and... Oh, he sees me. Oh, this is great. (laughs) He sees me in the dark. And then we have this scene where she's sitting on his lap and he's fingering her and it's in the shadows. So people can see, but they can't really see a lot. And she's getting off on that aspect of the exhibitionism. She's still like not so sure she wants to be in the spotlight necessarily, but she likes having sexual experiences in a group where people are watching her. There's a little bit of social commentary where I think it's Persephone who notices that a lot of people who are on the other side of the river come down to Hades' sex dungeon and watch and participate in these, quote, depraved, unquote, sex acts, (laughs) and then go back to the upper side of the city and act all hoity-toity with their purity culture and whatnot. I think that's fair Mm -hmm. for her to bring up. Yep. For sure. I wish there was more about that in the story, but there's really not. I think it's just along the same lines of the fact that Hades is dark and forbidden and scary. Grr. Sex is bad, but not really. <laughs> Hades likes that she gets kind of upset on his behalf, though, because she does say something like, They use you for their own gratification by coming and taking advantage of these parties and stuff. And then they pretend you don't exist and call you the boogeyman. And it's not okay. That makes him feel a little warm and fuzzy inside. Aww. 
later, Persephone learns that her mom gave Hades that ultimatum. I'm going to starve out your city if you don't give me back my daughter. Persephone initially is like, no, I can't do that. I will have to go back, be a good little wifey for Zeus or whatever, so that the suffering of however many people is not on my head. And Hades reassures her, no, actually, I've been planning for this sort of situation and we'll be fine for a while. And so you don't actually have to go back unless you want to go back. That makes her kiss him. She goes to like touch him and he doesn't want her to touch his body at all. We get some more kissing and stuff, but he doesn't like he keeps removing her hands from him. Like he puts them around his neck or they're on the bed and he makes her hold onto the headboard and promise not to move her hands and stuff. But then Persephone asks, can I touch you since you're touching me? And it takes Hades a a few minutes. He kind of has to think it over, but then he realizes, okay, fine. And so he does let her touch him over the clothes. That's a big step for him because he's very, I don't know what it is, but he, he, he wants to hide his scars for whatever reason. Um, Maybe he thinks she will find it ugly. Maybe it's a secret, hidden, vulnerable part of him that he doesn't want to share or doesn't feel safe sharing. I'm not really sure. They fall asleep together in his bed. He really likes waking up in the morning with her in his bed. He's up pretty early. Persephone's still asleep. He takes a, like a Zoom meeting with the other 13. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Basically, they don't call it a Zoom call, but it is. (laughs) Zeus says, return my fiance. Hades is like, I didn't break the treaty. She left of her own will. She can leave whenever she wants to. Zeus kind of starts to threaten him in an oblique way, bringing up Hades' father, who he murdered. Demeter kind of jumps into the conversation because she's like, is Persephone free to come and go? Can you prove it? And then Persephone shows up behind Hades because she woke up and she's like, I'm here and I'm very happy. Bye. And she closes the laptop and hangs up on everybody. Persephone decides that she wants to give Hades a blowjob. Hades is like, okay, yeah, sounds great. But Persephone's like, no, what do you actually want from me though? Because she's like going down on him and he's enjoying it, but it's not necessarily specifically what he wants. And so he says that he wants to, quote, fuck your mouth until you cry. And so she's into it and they do that and it's amazing. And then Hades ends up feeling like he got played in a way, like in a good way. But he's like, (laughs) she owns me now. (laughs) There's a lot of sex. A lot of sex. Like, a lot. So much sex. (laughs) And then Persephone calls her sisters and tells them what her plan is that she made with Hades and convinces them that it's fine. So the other sisters get off the call and she stays talking to Psyche and she learns that Eurydice is being followed by somebody. And so they're kind of worried about her. Then they start thinking, is Zeus following the sisters around in an effort to kind of provoke Hades and Persephone into doing what he wants. And Psyche gets Persephone to promise to make sure that she sticks to her plan no matter what happens. We get another little out on the town scene. 
Hades takes her to the indoor market that his part of the city has during the wintertime. Persephone gets to see how he cares about the people in his town under his protection so much because he knows them all and knows how long they've been in business and all the stuff. We got some time passing. There's sexy times. There's exploring the city times. There's getting to know you times. There's a point where he says something like, say you're mine, you're mine, or something like that. And then she says, well, if I'm yours, then you're mine too. And he says, yes. And I thought that part was good. Mm -hmm. That was good. Because it was mutual. There's another point where they're having sexy times and she asks if he'll keep the lights on. Because Hades still wants to kind of hide his body, his scars. And so they either have sex where he has clothes on or with the lights off or whatever. And he agrees that he'll take his clothes off with the lights on for her. I thought that scene was pretty good because she told him he was beautiful to her and the scars are part of him and it shows that he is strong because he survived crappy Zeus trying to kill him. It's really funny because like (laughs) we were at the beginning of the story and there was so much and then (laughs) sex, 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 sex. And now we're like toward the end of the story. (laughs) They also start falling in love with each other, but it's it's too soon for them to tell the other one, of course. And not only that, but Hades doesn't want to tell her because he doesn't want to force her to stay with him. He wants her to be able to be free like she really wants. Oh, they have a really good conversation about birth control. So up to this point, they have been using condoms. And Persephone brings up the fact that she'd like to not have condoms. And so they have this nice adult conversation about whether or not they should use protection and levels of trust and whatnot. And I thought that was good. Yes. Yay. Especially because Persephone was worried about what he was comfortable with too. She was like, I'm comfortable with this. Are you comfortable with this? I thought that was great. Hades was surprised. Like, why are you concerned about my comfort? No one cares about me. But I thought it was good. Mm Mm-hmm. They have another out on the town moment and they go to the pet store. There just happened to be three cute black dogs that Persephone talks Hades into adopting. Initially, she just says, oh, adopt one. He decides to adopt all three because he doesn't want to separate them. That would be bad. Cannot separate the puppies. Of course, they name one of them Cerberus. Of course. Because of course they do. Um... We have another evening where they're going to go have another public sex party dungeon time. Before they head over to the dungeon, they have this really sweet conversation where Hades tells her, if we were different people in in different circumstances, I would get on my knees and beg you to stay after the end of winter. I would do whatever I needed to do to keep you with me. And then she says... If we were different people, you wouldn't have to beg. I'd stay and nothing could make me leave. It's poignant at this point of the story because they both are still completely in line with this relationship having an end date, even though they are falling in love with each other. They get to the sex party and again, Hades declines putting her in the spotlight. Instead, they put on this show where Persephone goes down on him And really makes it look like he's being aggressive and taking from her. 
but he's not at all. He's letting her do her thing. Yes. And then after that, he decides he doesn't like it being so one-sided. He doesn't want to send that message that he's defiling her or whatever. He wants it to be equal. And so he has her sit on the throne and he goes down on her in front of everyone. Because to him, she's his queen. She's his equal. And I really liked that aspect of the story as well. Where to him, sex is a debasement. Yes. Unlike how Zeus views it and like they're playing into, he doesn't want to play into it anymore. He wants to show everyone that he wants her just as much as she wants him. Yes. So the Eurydice story picks up a little bit. Persephone gets a phone call and Eurydice is kind of panicked. She thinks she's being followed. Persephone tells her she needs to cross the River Styx and they'll come get her. They head out to the bridge immediately to go help Eurydice. She doesn't make it across the bridge. The men following her threaten her with knives. She is cowering. She's hurt, I think. Definitely traumatized. And Persephone goes to help her. And Hades won't let her cross the bridge. And so instead, he breaks the treaty and crosses the bridge and grabs Eurydice and brings her back with him. This plays into the Orpheus and Eurydice myth where Eurydice quote unquote dies and goes to Hades. Here she is. <laughs> so essentially, this was a whole ploy by Zeus to cause something to happen so that he wasn't the one responsible for breaking the treaty. He was going to force Hades into doing it, which succeeded. So yay um, for Zeus, I guess. Hades is immediately like, I'm on it. Persephone, Eurydice, (laughs) you can go be in my house, hang out, be safe. I got to figure out how we're going to handle this oncoming war that I just got us into. (laughs) Persephone is torn between helping her sister and also wanting to make sure that Hades doesn't bear the cost of what happened. Yeah. I think... She's worried that Hades is just going to go, no, it's fine. I like being at war and having my whole part of the city starve. It's totally cool, Persephone. You can stay here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in a way, she, she is giving him credit. He does have lots of plans and he has been expecting something like this for a long time. At the same time, she feels like it's all her fault. She's the one who pushed him to use her for revenge. She's the one who pushed him to keep her safe. She's the one who has the sisters who are also unsafe that he's protecting because of her. And so she feels like it's all her fault and she doesn't want to be selfish either. What do you think about this exchanging of faults and responsibilities? And I mean, it's all Zeus's fault if we're going to talk about faults. Yeah. But... (laughs) I think they're all being noble and shit. I think this sort of element to a story can be frustrating because I feel like the characters don't communicate very well. Yeah. They, They haven't bought into the partnership that they're in. Because if you're in a true relationship, partnership, then you are taking care of each other. And instead, each one of them is like, I'm going to take care of you at my expense. 
And I don't think that's how it should be. And I don't think that's how healthy relationships go. Yet we get this a lot in stories and I find it frustrating. Did you have thoughts? Well, I thought similarly, just felt like they were both wanting to jump on the sword when it's like the sword should be taken to Zeus. And yeah, by putting yourselves second this way constantly and then not talking to each other, that doesn't seem good either. <laughs> right. And there were parts in the story where Hades was like, no, look, yeah, your mom might be starving out my people, but I've actually planned for that. And I have this contingency plan in place that will keep us fine for a certain period of time. Yeah, which is like, great, you don't have you great, you have trust issues and you planned, which is wonderful. But well, I like that he communicated that to her, but then he doesn't communicate any of these other plans to her. Now that this war is a thing. She's not part of any of that planning. Yes. It gets a little tricky because he is the one in charge. But I feel he's a little short-sighted to think that she's going to be okay hiding in his house while he goes and does all this. Yes. Without any explanation so that she feels like he's going to be okay. Meanwhile, she's stuck in his house worrying about him being okay. <laughs> Which I think is valid. Mm-hmm. But then her response isn't to go address that with him personally. She ends up making a plan behind his back to make sure he doesn't have to handle it, that it's going to be her problem instead. Maybe if they talk together, they'd realize, like, maybe there's a solution that doesn't involve war and more diplomacy or, like, why does anybody have to suffer? Her Hermes comes and gives a separate message to both Hades and Persephone, basically the same thing. War is upon you enjoy <laughs> the message to persephone is also along the lines of oh but if you come back i'll reconsider my attack persephone is pissed off at the framing of it like oh you're gonna reconsider your attack <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna stop the attack you'll just reconsider it persephone at this point she's worried about hades She's worried about this war. She doesn't want to be responsible for the innocent casualties that may happen. And so she asks Hermes to send a message to her mother. And so she makes a deal with her mother. Yay. Her mother accepts the deal. And Persephone tells Eurydice, okay, let's go. We're going back home. And Eurydice decides she wants to stay. And so Persephone goes back to the other side of the city with Hermes leaving her sister behind in Hades' house. Before she leaves, though, she makes sure and dresses up in, like, this badass, awesome black gown that's very Hades-esque. So she's definitely making a statement here. She's not leaving Hades' realm as meek little Persephone. She's leaving Hades' realm as Hades' dark queen. <laughs> She gets taken back to that very same tower where we began the story and there is a deja vu moment because guess what? There's a party and everyone's there. Ooh. Zeus is there ready for Persephone to debase herself <laughs> and beg for forgiveness, which she does play with. She does say something like, oh, well... I'm sure that you'll forgive me if I'm properly contrite, you know, <laughs> like, ooh. <laughs> it's kind of a gross moment, but good for her messing with him. And then she gets 
over to her mom and they immediately head back to her mom's house and have a private chat and we learn about her mom's motives. So Demeter wanted Persephone to marry Zeus so that she would be Hera, which would give her more power, Demeter more power, let's be fair, and then poison Zeus so that he doesn't die, but he's also indisposed so that Demeter can work with Zeus's heir instead of directly with Zeus. So Demeter has basically decided that Zeus is a problem and she was going to overthrow him and Persephone was part of this plot that she never told Persephone about. (laughs) I just kind of threw her into. Yeah. You are never in any real danger. And Persephone is like, oh, she does love me in her own way. (laughs) I was like, oh, this feels very fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) So Demeter says she's going to help. But in return, Persephone needs to ensure that Hades will attend at least six events throughout the calendar year of Demeter's choosing and allow himself to be seen with her enough to suggest that they're allied. So she doesn't necessarily want to be allied, although I don't think she'd say no, but she definitely wants the appearance (laughs) of being allied with Hades. Persephone makes it clear that this is not a true allyship and that she doesn't get to control Hades in any way. It's just these appearances. And Demeter's like, no, that's what I want. I'm cool with it. (laughs) So Persephone seals the deal. Back in Hades' head, he's trying to convince himself that things are fine. (laughs) Yes, Persephone left him, but... She left her sister in his keeping and she wore the badass black dress. So she's not really leaving him, (laughs) right? He finds a note from her that says, I'm sorry, this is going to look bad, but I'm doing this for you. I love you. I'm going to fix this mess. Hades is like, I'm going to go kill Zeus. (laughs) He starts heading (laughs) to go kill Zeus. Hermes shows up, gets him to get in the car with her. Hermes says, I have a message for you from Demeter. You have the support of myself, Hermes, Dionysus, Athena, and Poseidon. And then Hermes hands Hades a gun and says, do what you have to do. (laughs) (laughs) So Demeter's basically given him permission to kill Zeus. (laughs) Hermes drops Hades off at the tower. Hades is conflicted because he really wants to kill Zeus but he also doesn't want Persephone to hate him for becoming like Zeus by (laughs) murdering somebody part of me is like you know what you just kill Zeus I don't think Persephone will care Mm -mm. I think she would kill Zeus if she could Hades has a confrontation with Zeus because of his conflictedness Zeus manages to try to get the upper hand on him it comes to blows Hades tries to shoot him. The gun goes off and breaks a window. There's more fighting. And then there's a point where Hades shoves him back and Zeus starts to fall through the open window. Hades tries to catch him, but isn't able to. And Zeus plummets to his death. As far as we know. Hades is like, well, shit, 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 shit. (laughs) Persephone will never look at me the same. I'm a murderer. I'm evil. 
He goes back to his side of the city, back to his house. He's thinking to himself, okay, well, at least Persephone will now be free to go pursue her dreams and be happy. And I will just be alone and sad. Demeter covers it all up. (laughs) She covers up the fact that Hades was there. She covers up the fact that any of that happened. Zeus, for some unknown reason, jumped out an open window and now he's dead. It was an accident, (laughs) I'm sure. Gravity did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Is that not a good defense? (laughs) Technically, yeah, that's what it is. Persephone realizes what's going on. She has a whole conversation with her mom and her mom is like, okay, well, I fixed it. So I'm making sure you keep up your end of the bargain. You go back over to Hades and make sure that he comes to this press conference later. That's one of his first things. (laughs) Persephone's like, I don't even know if he's going to agree to this. It's going to take me a while to convince him. And she goes, no, silly. He's in love with you. He'll do whatever you want. It's fine. (laughs) When Persephone crosses the bridge again, she doesn't feel the same pain or anything like that. And she figures it's because now she has an invitation. Although she does feel something. So there's something there. Like there's some sort of supernatural element of some kind. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, But she gets to Hades' house and Hades is moping with the puppies and he sees her and he's like, Oh, you came back. (laughs) And then Persephone's like, yeah, don't be too excited. I made a deal on your behalf. Please don't be mad at me. Hades is like, yes, I agree. (laughs) What did I just agree to? Hades says, so I guess you're coming to tell me goodbye. Persephone says, no, I love you. I want to stay here forever. And Hades says, well, Zeus is gone, so you're free. And she says, yeah, exactly. I'm free. So now I get to do what I want and I want to be with you. (laughs) He's like, yay, I love you too. And then Persephone tells him about how she voluntold him to attend six public events every year with her mom. (laughs) They go to the press conference. Hades is just there. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to be there. And Persephone realizes that he's kind of uncomfortable. And so she uses her skills to protect him from the social event because he's not used to handling that sort of thing. And she is. And he says something cute. He says, quote, my knight in sunshine armor writing in to save me from the press. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. And then they agree to move in together. And then there's an epilogue. And we finally get the public sex that we were promised, (laughs) sort of. They finally have the public sexy times where Persephone's in the spotlight. And that's the end of the story. How was the audiobook? The audiobook was good. It was narrated by Zara Hampton Brown and Alex Moorcock. And I feel like the parts were well cast and they did a good job narrating. It's one of those ones where I sort of wish it was a duet performance. Okay. How come? I think because they were the characters so much that I would have enjoyed the back and forth. Yeah, that makes sense. I think especially because there's so much sex in this book. Yeah. It might make it better too, potentially. Anyway, they did well. Are you happy for their happy? I'm happy they have each other. 
Oh, one of those. <laughs> what about you? Were you happy for their happy? I'm not super invested in them, really, but I feel like they belong together. I think the author made their relationship feel realistic and fine. So, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I felt they were well suited. I definitely felt like they fell in love with each other. Yes. And I feel like they're equally invested. And I think that the real problem is that they have to make sure they communicate and don't try to take on all the burden. Yes. Moving forward. I hoard the burdens. So let's rate them. Okay. How do you rate Persephone? For the most part, I thought she was awesome. You know, she was very much like, I'm going to solve my own problems. Thank you. That was a little problematic at times. Mm -hmm. But I liked that she was active and had her own agency. Me too. And all of those good things. Mm -hmm. So, yes. What about you? I rate her awesome. I thought she was a really good character. I liked how she was very straightforward about things. She was good with boundary setting. She also wanted to rescue him and did. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just him rescuing her. Yes. I like that she took ownership of her sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really liked a lot of things about her. I think everything I know about Persephone, I enjoyed. So there you go. Yes. Same. <laughs> how, how do you rate Hades? Hmm. I sort of feel like... Sometimes he was awesome. Sometimes I felt like I needed a more fleshed out character. Mm -hmm. So I guess for that reason, I would put awesome. There, there were things that he was really great about. Making sure Persephone was comfortable with everything, although it got a bit more... Is it caring or is it just controlling? But I guess that that's, <laughs> some people are into that. So for them, yay. And I get that there was like... Which, this is true of, of lots of male heroes, which is the sort of Batman thing. I always thought you were going to do this, so I made sure to do this ahead of time. Oh, yeah. Which does make them seem a little inhuman, but maybe that's just me and I'm more about the humans mess up thing. Which often characters don't, especially if they're the male hero. Or if they are, it's like, no, it's okay. The story literally structures it around it to make sure that it's fine. I think in this case, I give him a bit of a pass for the Batman thing because he is literally in charge of like a bunch of people. Yes. And making sure that they're safe and happy. And I will say like when it came to certain things, he's like, I don't know if I can go after Persephone or protect her because I do have all of these other people to take care of. Which I very much appreciated yeah. because a lot of times when it's that sort of situation, it's the he will literally risk everything for her. And yeah. I'm just going, but but all the people. What about all the people? What about the innocents? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The many for not even the few, the one. Yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, I, I think it's I felt more with him there was... Maybe it's also because he is in charge of, quote unquote, the world. And so there, when there was less world building in my brain, it sort of made it his problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not sure that's fair or a good thing that my brain did, but I think that's what it kind of did. Anyway, so yeah, I would kind of label him Oxum. What about you? I also labeled him Oxum. Same Z's. <laughs> uh, 
So I was kind of conflicted because I think that in a lot of ways, he is very awesome. He is an awesome hero because of the focus on consent. And he did have a developed enough backstory for us to understand, or at least for me to understand why he had the trust issues that he had, but it didn't make him, he wasn't a super gloomy character. It was more like he was just very closed off and careful. Yes. Which I found kind of refreshing, honestly. Yeah, me too. The part where the awkward comes in for me is the whole sex stuff. Yeah. You're talking it up, dude. Come on. <laughs> I I don't know. It's, it's just when so much of the book is sex and we're told there's going to be certain types of sex and the hero of the book who is going to be a participant in this sex does the dirty talking and whatnot and you're like oh yeah i'm into it and then he's like oh never mind <laughs> yeah and it just it made me upset with him and then i was thinking about it more and i and well like i talked about before it felt like the sex thing was the only reason he was quote unquote dark or scary or forbidden or whatever and i just don't buy into that or made to be invisible or doesn't exist because the sex that he likes doesn't exist in that world. And yet it does. So then I found myself looking for reasons for him to be dark or forbidden or to have that sort of reputation whatsoever, aside from the sex. And I couldn't think of any. And that is a big part where the awkward comes in for me. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. If you're going to have a Hades and you're going to take on the baggage of that name which has a lot of baggage because it's a mythological character that has a lot of history and has been on a lot of media and is part of our culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, if you're going to take that on, I kind of want someone who's maybe a little dark or maybe something more death-ish or something maybe a little morally gray or... I don't even know, because, I mean, the Hades of myth isn't necessarily evil. He just rules the underworld. Yeah. But, I mean, in a lot of stories, I feel like, oh, Hades is misunderstood and he's lonely. And and I think the author tried to do that here, and I mm -hmm. just didn't buy into it. Yeah, I, I agree that I feel like the author tried to do that here. It was a little bit of a difficult buy-in. How did you rate the antagonists slash villains? Well, Zeus is at the top of the list, and I felt I listed him as moderately effective, mainly because, I don't know, like the, there were few instances where he was doing anything that would be really scary or bad, mm -hmm. or behind actions that were scary or bad. The scene with her sister was, I'm trying to remember, I think that was his most evil that we saw, not that we were told about, but that we actually saw on the page. Yeah. And I mean, it was very effective. I felt like it was one of the more powerful scenes, honestly. I agree. Because, yeah, I agree with you that the the sister connections through the story were good. There were few. It didn't feel like a true through line. And it doesn't seem like it is through the series, which is unfortunate. Although the series is still ongoing, so maybe. So I put him as moderately effective because he is in the beginning and then he is at the end. And then there's like little things. But I think maybe because so much of the quote unquote meat of the book is sex that it makes him less effective because <laughs> there's less time 
devoted yeah. to him being threatening or able to be threatening. And then also on the list, I put Demeter. And she was, to me, more effective. A, because she tries to starve people out, although apparently he Batmaned it. <laughs> so, uh. And also, I think the aspect of her character that made her most effective in the antagonist's way is that she just, maybe because she doesn't trust anybody or something, but doesn't, like, let Persephone or any of her daughters in on what's going on. Yeah. Where it's just, that created more problems than I think anything else. It's like, if you had just told her, honestly, I mean, she's such a devoted daughter, she probably would have been like, okay, I'll marry him and then we can kill him or whatever. Or comatose him. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I kind of wondered that myself. But because it's like, well, she doesn't let her know her plan. And it, I mean, it makes perfect sense that Persephone would then run away because she's like, nobody's got my back. And the people that do, my sisters, I want to protect. Yeah, exactly. As sort of is often the case that antagonist kind of makes the story. <laughs> and I feel like it's more Demeter than Zeus, really. I agree. What about you and the antagonists? Oh, I guess it would be the Puritan culture of the... Uh, the up city people. Down city, up city. Oh, yeah. Up city. <laughs> the emphasis on sexual purity. Uh, but anyway, yes, you're our antagonist, madam. I have Zeus on the list as well. I didn't think he was very effective. There were a few scenes where he was, specifically that Eurydice scene, which isn't him doing anything directly. It's him orchestrating it behind the right. scenes. But he is the king of olympus so that makes sense it does seem like if he is so powerful he would have been able to send people to hades to make mischief if nothing else because they can go there no the treaty still like very sneaky i don't know i think he could have the thing about him though that really got to me is he's the whole reason that they were gonna have the quote depraved unquote sex acts mm -hmm. but because they didn't go th they didn't follow through mm -hmm. yeah no full bore <laughs> it made him less scary to me yeah well, that makes sense like it felt like they weren't taking him seriously because they didn't follow through on it it could have had something in the story where it was like an upping the ante thing like they think they've done enough yeah and he makes some sort of chess move that indicates no, they did not. Yeah, where it builds up to the public sex. And he actually has some clout or something that can put the pinch on Hades. That's the downside with having yeah. this hero that is so powerful, so smart, so this, so that, you know, Batman slash Superman combined kind of thing. He has all the powers plus all the chess moves. It renders Zeus impotent. Yeah. So I put him as mostly ineffective with a couple effective scenes. And he definitely was gross. Oh, yeah. Don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, yeah. I rated Demeter super effective. I really enjoyed her character in the story. Yes. I liked that she was made out to be a villain because in the myth, she's not necessarily a villain. Mm -mm. I never thought of her as a villain. At least not, not in the Persephone story. <laughs> I appreciated that take on it. In this book, I thought that was interesting. I liked how ambitious she was and how thoughtless she was about her daughters 
It gave Persephone a lot of motivation to do what she ended up doing. And I think that's, like you said, that's the reason the story happened was because of Demeter. Mm -hmm. If she had trusted her daughters, or at least Persephone, at least a little bit, then none of this would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, maybe not. Maybe Persephone still would have been like, um... No, because <laughs> if you miscalculate or if you're wrong, then I'm stuck with him. I think ultimately that's what Demeter was was going against. She didn't want Persephone to have a chance to say no. Yeah. And so that brings up the whole issue of consent. Persephone didn't get to consent to that situation at all. And then she goes across the river and it's all about consent, supposedly. Yes, I agree. How did you read the book? There were parts of the book I really enjoyed, and because of that, I gave it a three. What about you? I rated it a two. Okay. Because I wanted more world building. I feel like that was a big chunk of the story that was missing. Yeah. And I need at least some sort of world building to invest, especially if you're going to make it so confusing. If the author had said, no, this is like a mafia retelling of the Persephone Hades story and didn't put any magic in there, then I probably would have bought in a lot easier. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have Hermes, and I really liked Hermes. Me too. But I'm just saying, like, she didn't have to do, the author didn't have to do a lot of world building, just something. I really wanted it to be like a pocket dimension where they did have some sort of magic. Yeah, I I was hoping for more explanation, but I guess I kind of assumed like, well, with six books. But I mean, I think sometimes when a story is so myopically focused on either the couple and or what the story is supposed to accomplish with the couple, that it cuts out everything else, then it makes the reader feel like nothing else really exists and not necessarily in a good rooted way. I want to bring up, though, you keep bringing up that there's multiple books, and I agree, there are multiple books, but most of the time in a series, the first book takes on the onus of setting the stage, so to speak. And so you keep saying, well, maybe the author was leaving this for other books or whatnot, but I'm like thinking in my head, no, this is all we're going to (laughs) get. And I can't say that that's true, because I haven't read the other books, but... I worry that that might be the case, because you're right. Usually the first book is sort of a foundation book, which sometimes can make the first book pacing-wise lag a little, because they can get a little info dumpy. It it all depends on how it's presented. Yes. But you need that, because then it makes things feel like there's columns and walls and a ceiling. and (laughs) Three-dimensional? Yes. (laughs) it's like you want to get wrapped up in the character's experience but part of that is how the characters bounce off the world that they're in i think something the author did really well was have multiple interesting side characters yes and i felt a lot more invested in those characters than in the main couple yeah i don't know if it was the world building or the sex or something else but for whatever reason it just i didn't I I was unfortunately bored. Hmm. (laughs) 
No, I get that. I must admit, like, once we got into the point where there were so many sex scenes, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it did progress their relationship, (laughs) but at a certain point, I'm just like, okay, but is there anything else going on? Are the people starving yet? Well, the thing, too, is, like, it, it, it progressed their relationship, but it didn't reflect any of the stakes. The whole right. reason they're supposedly doing this is to get revenge on Zeus. We'll get revenge and also make it so that she can't go back. Right. And cause him to act out. And I didn't feel like that was ever going to happen. Yeah, I wonder if if it could have been written in such a way, like I had said before, where it's, you know, they think they've done enough, but Zeus does something. Or if we could have even been in Zeus's head or something or somehow maybe through Hermes get Zeus information that the other 11 are chomping at the bit to go at Zeus like it's a power thing. Oh, look, if he can't control Persephone and they're chomping at the bit to take his power away or something. Yeah. And then it raises the stakes for Zeus to go at Persephone and Hades, which then in turn would cause them to go, okay, we need to have a more... Depraved? Yeah, depraved (laughs) or... Public? Yeah, we, we need to make something more more of a spectacle or something. Yeah. I think you make such a good point about the stakes. And I wish that it did have that feeling of ramping up because then I think it would have felt more intense and the sense of danger for the main characters would have felt maybe a little more immediate instead of just, oh, well, maybe it'll happen. But we're fine over here on our side of the river. In a story, you can absolutely have erotic scenes. Absolutely. And and romance, of course. But yes, it, it's all about stakes and making that pressure build to where it's there's an increased sense of if something is not accomplished, i.e. a public enough, a depraved enough... <laughs> you know, scene is not played in front of sufficient audience from that particular part of Olympus so that the rumors are started or the gossip is started, then something will be lost. Either, I mean, not necessarily loss of life. I mean, lots of stories have the, that's what makes, you know, the killer storyline so good. It's like, oh, it's the loss of life that makes everything important. It doesn't have to be loss of life. It could be loss of Zeus's power. Maybe Zeus had a had a way of taking Hades's power. It didn't really seem so because Hades is, of course, so awesome. <laughs> but that, that's the problem with two awesome characters. Two awesome of characters. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is you don't have that struggle. You know, it's like, oh, no, he's mm-hmm. just too great. Well, then he's won the fucking game. <laughs> he has nothing to lose. Yeah, if you're too many steps ahead, then you're at the end already. Yeah, because, I mean, we already know, I mean, that's the downside with us knowing Persephone is so in love with him. We know she's not going to leave. I mean, when she does, it's to protect him. There's There was no fear I had that he lost her. Right. Which is usually with the romance, you know, that's, oh no, the couple won't be together. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's often like a third act breakup or separation or whatever. I mean, yes, she goes away, but I didn't really feel like they were separated, which you can translate to mean that, oh, the strength of their affection. But then that also doesn't make me worried for them. It's like, oh, I'll just bide my time. It's fine. Yeah. There has to be the the fear of loss or quote unquote, I mean, death, but like death of the relationship or psychological right. death. Oh, no, she's left me. I was so cautious. I planned everything. How, how did I miscalculate? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I made sure that that all the things were in the places. I got the puppies that she wanted. I, I did all the right things. How did this still not work out for me? Yeah. And, and I can understand where not everybody wants to have emotional torment in stories. <laughs> but it would have, I don't know, it would have made... I'm usually pleasantly surprised when there isn't a third act breakup, honestly. Well, it didn't have to be that. It could have been, I don't know, something else. Maybe she's in danger because she left. Like, maybe she's actually in danger. You didn't have to put her in danger. You didn't have to break them up. But he could have thought it. If he believes it. Yeah. That That's all you would need. He was worried. Yeah. But I think my thing was, like, worried that to internalize that to the degree of I am not enough. But he did decide he was going to go kill Zeus because he was worried about her safety. Yes. But he, he is not one of those emotionally vulnerable heroes which so many of them aren't but i think that would have helped me you know it's yeah i could see that she may have decided to leave me but i'm still gonna make sure she's safe which is what i think the author was going for i i think so too i guess i just needed more i'm a greedy bitch same Samezies. <laughs> well i guess <laughs> it's an awkward question to ask now but did you feel romanced <laughs> I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> I know you did. I really wanted to. I uh I was just so bored. So no, unfortunately. What about you? Uh no. No. I mean there were there were parts that I liked. There were certainly side characters that I liked. I liked the the title of Zeus, the title of Demeter, that kind of thing. I thought that was clever. Because, again, to get out of that whole world related. But I did not emotionally invest in the main character's journeys. No. And then that just sort of makes things afterward, I mean, sometimes awkward. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm not invested. <laughs> I feel nothing. Yeah. Well, what else have you been reading? Well, I'm almost finished with a book called Happier No Matter What by Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a positive psychologist and wrote this book. I, I forget if he said during lockdown for COVID or directly after, but he's definitely got COVID on the brain because he brings it up. Uh, so FYI. <laughs> I, I really liked it because it's small steps that you can take to make each day happier for yourself. Not necessarily that you'll be happy. He's very quick to point out that, you know, life is going to have its ups and downs. <laughs> no matter what. And there are things that will happen that will give you spikes in either direction, happiness or I guess unhappiness. But he's looking for just things that will improve one's quality of life for a longer span. There were some things that felt a little woo for me. 
I still really enjoy it. He has his own spire method and he talks about happiness in terms of like spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional well-being. Although this isn't his term, he he gets this from someone else's research, um, post-traumatic growth and how to increase that. So yes, you've been through something, but there is potential afterwards for growth, for lack of a better word. Something positive. Yeah. And even, like I said, little things like increasing one's mindfulness or meditation and how those there's research to suggest that that will help like boost one's immune system and things like that. And it's small steps, which I feel like that's good because sometimes it's like, oh, it's too daunting to do a big thing. So he's like, if you can just improve one, one thing, a little thing. And I like that. Anyway, interesting. Different point of view. What about you? What have you been reading? I recently finished The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden. This is a mystery, thriller, suspense sort of book. Mm -hmm. Our main character, Millie, is recently out of jail. She's been in jail for 10 years since she was 17. Mm. We're not sure why. Mm. And in order to keep to her parole she needs to find a job so she's kind of desperate and she takes on a live-in housemaid situation for this wealthy family at first it seems really great Mm -hmm. because she's got room and board she's got the job all that but it soon isn't great the wife of the couple that she works for Seems like she's trying to make Millie's life very difficult and horrible. And she may or may not have some sort of mental illness. The husband is very handsome and seems to be potentially interested in Millie more than he should be. And I don't want to give too much away, (laughs) but it's kind of a twisty, turny sort of story where you're not really sure what's going on and then things get revealed and you're like "Ooh, that's exciting (laughs) (laughs) and i i enjoyed the end of the story as well and apparently it's a series and this character is um an ongoing character in the series so nice yeah i think you'd probably enjoy it em i probably would i'm slowly getting into more mysteries and things like that again i do read them and there is an audiobook, but I think the thing I especially liked was trying to figure out what each character's deal was, you know? Yes. Why are you doing this? Like, what is your motivation? And as things get revealed, it was very satisfying. Oh, good. Yeah, I like the trying to pick things apart. And it definitely got to a point where you felt worried for Millie's safety. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yes. You got to make me care and then you got to endanger them. I like that. Yeah, it was really good. And then um, how the situation gets resolved was extremely satisfying. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I can't say anything else. Without going <laughs> yeah, away. don't tell me. Don't tell me. Especially with mysteries. It's like. <sighs> yeah, that's the problem with rec- recommending a book like that. You can't tell people how it ends like you can with romance. <laughs> you mean the butler did it? <laughs> the butler always did it so 
That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancebepodcast.com. We've got our show notes, other episodes, and lists with our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Make sure you leave us a rating. Give us a review. I'd love to hear from you. Um, maybe. I don't know. But definitely me. <laughs> well, let us know if you were romance. <laughs> that was the most <laughs> awkward transition ever. Go me. All right. If you were romanced, <laughs> I can't get out of it now. It's like some sort of spiraling downward airplane. I did you it. You did. Good job, you. You get a cookie and or a gold star. Your choice. <laughs> Go me. Well, if you were romanced by Persephone and Hades' story, let us know what you think. Or let us know what you think about modernizing myth stories in general. Your call. Yeah. If you wish, join us next time when we discuss My Phony Valentine by Courtney Walsh. I cannot believe we're already on the eve of doing a Valentine's episode. It feels too soon. I can It feels like it should be farther. <laughs> this year is already going by too quickly. <laughs> yeah. Is it 2025 yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting started. Ah. <laughs> <laughs>